Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship today, I'm going to invite you, let's take the Word of God, let's open the Word of God and turn in the Word of God to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. And as you're finding Hebrews chapter 2, I'm thankful that we've been brought to church today by the Lord as we sung and declared His glory over us and prayed and seeking Him first. And I'm praying that God will use this time that we gather right now to understand who Jesus is and what He has done for us. See, we're coming out of Hebrews chapter 1. and Hebrews, it is a very powerful letter about persevering. As Christians in this world, persevering in the supremacy of Jesus and the sufficiency of Jesus. He is supreme, reigns in a throne that is everlasting, and He's also sufficient. He's a Savior who died in our place. And so we have this profound theme that is incredibly simple throughout the book of Hebrews, and it's this. Jesus is better. He is categorically incomparable. There's no one, no name, there's no sacrifice, there's no system, there's nothing in your life that can compare to the name of Jesus. In fact, as Hebrews would declare, he is our prophet, the greater prophet who reveals God to us. He is the greater perfect priest who represents us and reconciles us before the Father. And he's also our greater king who reigns with God for all eternity. This is who our Jesus is, and so we must take him as who he is and the message that he is, Hebrews now is going to tell us we have to take this Jesus very, very seriously. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to read the first four verses and then we're going to spend the rest of our time walking together through the word of God. It says in verse 1, Therefore, we must pay attention. Our, our ears should be perking because the Word of God is calling us to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So we're going to see a tendency in us to, to wander and to waver and to want other things. For since the message declared by angels, that being the law of the Old Testament, that proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, meaning there was a penalty or payment for their sin. Well, then verse 3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested or affirmed by the witnesses, by those who heard the eyewitnesses, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles to, again, affirm the gospel by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We have reliable truth in Jesus' name, and let's submit our lives to its authority over our, ourselves today as we declare it. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to sit and surrender and submit ourselves under the teaching of the Word of God, and we pray right now that your Holy Spirit will begin working new in us, revealing, teaching, showing, and God, helping us to follow you more closely as a result of experiencing the living God. May your living word do the work by the Spirit of God today. In Jesus' name we pray these things, and God's church says, Amen. As you find your seat, you keep the text open, have your Hebrew Scripture journals if you have those. We also want you to find the backside of your worship guide to plug in some things as we walk together through the Word. And, and I love chapter 2. It's, it's incredibly, again, simple, showing us that Jesus is better. 
And as we come to see this, we see a warning out of the text, warning against neglecting the truth, neglecting our salvation, neglecting the hope that we have in Jesus. And so we're going to see two things today for us. Number one, we see the danger of drift. Now we see the danger of drift, which is a tendency that all of us can fall into as we begin following Jesus. It says in verse one, therefore, out of, out of all the context of chapter one, and what's the context of chapter one? That we have the sound doctrine of Jesus. Right? He's better than the angels. We have theology of Jesus. We have everything that we need to follow Jesus. He says, now therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And so we're coming out of theology, and we have this warning of danger. Don't drift. Don't wander. Don't waver. Don't want anything else. We, we have sound doctrine. We have solid teaching. We have everything that we need in the Word of God, with the Spirit of God, everything we need to follow Jesus. But you must pay careful and close attention because all the pressure in the world that comes around you, all the temptations in the world that will cause you and call you, those are going to challenge your focus. They're going to challenge your faith. And they're going to tempt you to do what? To pull up your anchor and start wandering out to sea. Right, we got to stay in the harbor of Christ, and that's why Paul challenged us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, to be steadfast, to be immovable, because it's easy to drift. It's easy to drift into worldliness. It's easy to drift our priority of Christ and His church. It's easy to drift into thinking that I can please God with moralism, behavior modification. It's easy to just drift into cultural Christianity, which is no Christianity at all. It's easy to drift. And so we have to drop our anchors in the Word of God to avoid drift. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the very words of Christ, the Word of God. We understand that the encouragement right here is paying closer attention, much closer attention to what we have heard, the gospel, what we have seen, and what we know about Jesus, because it's easy to become lazy. Anybody else? Really easy just to drift. Really easy not to prioritize these things. And so he says, don't become lazy about your Bible. Don't become lazy about learning the basics. Don't become lazy about gathering as a body for worship. Don't let these things slide because if you do, there's great danger that you'll begin to drift away. You'll begin to be exposed because you know how easy it is to drift. Now, I don't know about you, but, but that's one of the scariest things about driving a vehicle. Right? And that's one of the scariest things about me thinking about a teenager that will grow up in my household to drive a vehicle, right? Because I've been one, and I know how stupid we are, right? So here I understand that, that it takes just a second for me to, to touch the radio, a second for me to check a text, a, a second for me to, to grab something in the back seat or to pick up a cup that my kid dropped. It just takes a second. All of a sudden, without you even noticing, without you even paying attention, you've crossed the lane, You've crossed the double yellow, or, or worse, you've gone over the shoulder, and then you're in a ditch. All of a sudden, your drift happened without you paying attention, without you even trying, and your life can become ruined in a second because of drift. That's how easy it is. So the Bible calls us paying closer attention. You've got to keep both hands on the wheel. For me, it's just one, but you've got to keep both hands on the wheel. That's why it's really scary when I check a text, right? I'm, I'm hands-free. One of y'all need to buy me a Tesla, all right? I don't need to, I need to have the hands off, right? We have to pay attention. We can keep our hands on the Word of God, keep our feet planted, our anchor in the Word of God. We cannot afford to drift. We cannot afford to drift. And so we have to be people who are paying attention because drift will lead to destruction. 
drifting will lead to destruction. You ever notice when you are cruising, it's always because cruising happens when you're not in drive. A car drifts only because it's not moving forward. It'll go backwards and only can drift in one direction. Your car doesn't just naturally climb a hill and then drift up. It just stays down. It goes backwards, and so it happens slow. It happens steady, and so we have to be able to fight against the drift because here's what we know when it comes to the danger of drift. Here's a point of application that we see. You cannot avoid accountability to the truth. You cannot avoid the accountability that you have to the truth of God's word. It says in verse 2, for since the message, the gospel, declared, that being the law at this point, the, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, since that was declared by angels and it proved to be reliable, proved to be true that every transgression or disobedience, every act of sin that received a just retribution, well then how shall we escape it if we neglect or we refuse or we reject such a great salvation? It is declared, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So God gave the law at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. All right, he gave the law, and God said, if you obey the law, what? You receive a blessing. And he said, if you disobey the law, you what? You receive a curse. All right, that was what God said. You will obey, you be blessed, you disobey, you will be cursed. And that's true. It says this is reliable, and God is faithful to his word. And so we need to be careful to pay attention, because watch this. If we want God to be faithful to his blessing, then the same is going to be true. He'll be faithful to his judgment. We want God to be faithful to his blessing, to his mercy and grace. Then understand this, God at the same time will be also consistent and faithful to his judgment. And if the people of God in the Old Testament were judged justly for their sins, how much worse, it says in the word of here today, will the judgment be for us who have rejected his salvation, now delivered to us in the full revelation of his son, Jesus Christ? How much more will you and I be held accountable? The danger of spiritual drift is not that we're going to miss out on a spiritual blessing and a spiritual life that is flourishing. The true danger of spiritual drift is that we find ourselves under the judgment of God. That's the true danger of you drifting from God today. See, I, I want to make it very plain and simple what the law has been declared today, what has been proven and what is proven to be reliable is that the bad news is that every single one of us in this room, we are sinners who all deserve hell for our sin. All of us. There's no one righteous, no, not one. Even it says you're on your best day, all right, your good deeds are filthy rags in the sight of God. All right, so there's no one righteous, there's no one moral, there's no one good, there's no one who can receive God's blessing by earning it. So the really bad news, it says then, is that we will be even more accountable to God if we reject Christ. That's what it says here today. But the gospel has intervened in the gospel's good news. What does the gospel declare? It's good news for those who repent of their sin, for those who believe in Christ, that Christ has stood in my place, that the perfect Son of God came down and said, I see you in your sin. I see the debt that you owe. I see that you're in no shape or form or way able to pay yourself out of this. So I'm going to step in, get out of the way, because I'm going to die in your place. I will die for your sin. And it is good news because no longer are we objects of wrath, as Ephesians 2 says, we become objects of grace and mercy. This is what Christ has done for us. And so we have to repent. We have to believe. But the good news is only good if it's accepted in place of the bad. It's only good if it's 
been accepted in place of the bad, and it's awful news for those who do not. Terrible news those who are not. If you turn away from Jesus Christ, if you reject this great salvation, understand this, there is nowhere else for you to go. If you do not receive the free gift of Jesus Christ, coming to give you life, coming to forgive you of your sin, where else can you go? Back to the world? Back to emptiness? Back to moralism? Back to trying to behave your way into the kingdom of God? Do not walk away from, the morning, or from, from this warning. You are accountable to the truth. But here's the second thing. All things are accountable to his authority. Not only are we held accountable to the truth, but all things are held accountable to his authority. In verse 5, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. All right? Again, the angel worship. It was a confusing thing for, for the, those people at that time, because it has been testified somewhere, this of course being Psalm 8, that what is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels, that being the humanity of Jesus, you have crowned him, though, with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his authority, under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. And at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And we can all say amen to that. All right, at present, we don't see it all. It's hard to see a, a world that, that feels out of control. But we see him for a little while who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Watch this. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Everyone, which is you this morning. This is what Christ has done for you. See, even though it doesn't look like it right now, nothing is outside the control of Christ. It's true, even if it's unseen, it's still true. And, and that's especially important for us to remember when the world is at war. Especially important for us to remember when our marriage begins to drift and dissolve. Especially important when our friends begin to walk away from us or sell us out. Or our kids begin to rebel or, or our job becomes a nightmare. It doesn't feel like things or, or look like things are under his control. When those things don't look like it or feel like that, it says it's true even when it's unseen. So the Bible says don't drift, stay anchored. Stay anchored in hope. Jesus sat down, it says in the end of chapter 1, and he still sits on that throne. He has not gotten up. He sat down because it was finished and it was complete and everything is in subjection to him. And so what we have to trust as we think about what the text is referencing, what man lost in rebellion, that being Adam and sin, Jesus has recovered and restored to us in redemption. What man lost in rebellion, Jesus has recovered Jesus has restored, Jesus has reconciled, and Jesus has redeemed because it says that he might taste death for everyone. So we're seeing a reference here to the Old Testament because the first Adam, the first Adam plunged man into sin and death. Paul would say this in Romans, the last Adam, that being Jesus, was plunged into death for the sake of man. The work of the last Adam undoes the work of the first Adam because the last Adam has tasted death for everyone. He has tasted death for everyone. In other words, his suffering was not only sufficient, but his suffering was substitutionary. Substitutionary. All right, it was enough. Jesus died, hear the good news, for everyone. For everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your, your skeletons in your closet, no matter the guilt that, that overwhelms you, no matter the shame that maybe you're walking in here with today, God's invitation for everyone is all-encompassing. 
are as all-encompassing. I don't know your story, but I don't have to know your story because I know his story. And I know his story says that he came to save sinners, in which Paul would say, of whom I am the worst. I'm the chief, and God saved me. And Paul would always argue, if God saved me, who can't he save? And so we have to understand that, that God's love for us is so deep that he, he sent Jesus perfectly innocent for our guilt. He sent Jesus in perfect purity for our shame. He sent Jesus in perfect holiness for our sin. And he sent Jesus, as the gospel is in four words, Jesus in my place. He sent Jesus for you. And so the gracious response of God to our accountability to our sin is not to condemn you, but to give you Jesus to save you. Do not drift, Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, let me correct that. I don't know who wrote it, but do not drift as the word of God tells us this morning from the truth of God's word. So we see the danger of drift. Then number two, thankfully, here's what we see, the defeat of death. All right, the defeat of death. Let's go on in verse 10 of our text here in chapter 2. And the word of God says in verse 10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. We sang that line this morning. That should make the founder of, the, of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That being Jesus calling us his brothers, saying, I, they, I will tell of your name of, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children that God has given me. Behold my family, Jesus would say as he presents us to the Father, since therefore the children share in the flesh and the blood, in verse 14, he himself likewise, he partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and then deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, because they don't need a savior, right? They have a king. But he helps the offspring of Adam, that being you and I. Therefore, what did he have to do? He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So we believe that Jesus is fully God, but he also came to be fully man as our great high priest, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to watch this make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's a lot right here, but we, we see a lot of context in this, that, that Christ came to do many things. He came to save sinners, he, he came to forgive sin, and then he came to, to adopt us into glory, to adopt us as his children. Jesus, it says right here, transforms us from orphans. He transforms us from being slaves. He transforms us into being children of God and to be the siblings of the Lord Jesus Christ, co-heirs with our King. In other words, what we're seeing in this text is a lot of familial language. You are family if you're in Christ. You become sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. We have this family that we belong to in the name of Jesus. And so when we sing, I belong, I'm so glad I belong to the family of God, that's because we are family. All right, we belong to the family of God. He has redeemed us. And, and how? How has he brought us into the family? How has he changed us from orphans into children, into brothers and sisters, from slaves into free men? And then we see this point of application because he provided his perfection in our place. Jesus provided his perfection in your place because you were imperfect. In verse 10, it was fitting 
That was appropriate. It was God's plan and God's design that he, for whom and by all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, watch this, perfect through suffering. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? How do you perfect perfection? How does Jesus become more perfect? And so we first must operate in the understanding that Jesus was already perfect. Jesus was sinless. He's in no need of any moral improvement. We do not have an imperfect Christ all of a sudden being made perfect by suffering. What we do have is a perfect high priest with perfect obedience to the Father who came to complete to complete with complete ability to identify with those who he represented in suffering. F.F. Bruce would say this, the perfect Son of God has become his people's perfect Savior. All right, the perfect Son of God has become his people's perfect Savior. In other words, when God comes to your rescue in your suffering, watch this, he does not do that from the outside. When God comes to you in your suffering, He does not do that from the outside. He doesn't say, you who are suffering, I'm going to help you with my power. There, I helped you. Feel better about yourself. He doesn't do that to our suffering. No, no, the way that God rescued us in our suffering is that he came inside that suffering, and he has done that in the work in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, when you're walking through something so so impossible, you're walking through something so hard, and, and, and your best friends that love you, and want the best for you, want to be there for you, they say, they say they try to come identify with you, but still, those friends can't truly know what you're going through because they've not gone through it, right? They mean the best, and you love them for it because you're trying to come aid me, you're trying to come encourage me, you're trying to come alongside of me, but yet at the same time, you're still like, but you don't know. You don't know what it's like. You've never been in my shoes. You can never say that to Jesus, You can never say that. He can say that to you, but you can never say that to him because when you begin to look up to God and cry out for help in the middle of your suffering or in the middle of all that you're walking through, he's not out there somewhere. He's right next to you. He's been through it. He's experienced everything that you have plus things that you will never experience and have never experienced because we see the perfect got perfecter. The perfect got perfecter. That's how closely identified to us Jesus is. That's what it says, that he's a great high priest that can identify with us. He knows. He's been tempted, as we walked through on Sunday nights with Pastor Cody on on the temptations of Christ. He's been tempted in every way that you've been tempted, but he's perfect. He suffered in ways unimaginable to us as our Savior, dying for the world's sins. Understand what he did as the sacrifice for you. He has done things for us that we could never relate to, and yet he's come alongside us to invite us into his life. I've died for you. And so he, he says this in the word that his suffering brings about our salvation. Or his suffering brings about our salvation. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We're seeing the work of slavery ended, abolished. 
We're seeing death being defeated. We're seeing the devil being defeated. For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps us, the offspring of Adam. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest to do the work of the, the, the priesthood in the service of God, to make sacrifice, to watch us make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus became what he was not, without ever stopping to be who he was, so that he could make you to be what you are not, and to become more like him. I'm going to say that again, it's a mouthful, but Jesus became what he was not. He became what he was not, without ever stopping to be who he actually was, so that, you could, so that he could make you to be who you were not, and to become like him. This teaches us a great truth, that salvation it is never something that we achieve. It is always something that we receive. Now, you cannot gain salvation. Salvation is not, not a gift for the, or is not, not a reward for the righteous. Salvation is a gift for the guilty. Right? It is not something that you can gain. It's not something that you can achieve. And so the distinction here is that God is going to change us. It is Christ who's going to do the work. It's not something that we gain. It's not something through our performance. It is something given, though it says, through what his propitiation now, propitiation is not like a word that you talk about over coffee, right? Um, none of you are like, hey, let's talk about propitiation this week. That's not going to come up in your normal conversations. But it says his death was to make propitiation. That means to remove the wrath of God against our sins. God has wrath against your sin. Again, as we go back, you're accountable for your sin. All right? And you're held accountable for your sin if you don't have anyone to pay the debt for your sin. And so what we see is that Jesus came to make propitiation or to make the payment, the fullness of the payment, and to remove the wrath of God against our sin. The Bible will also call that atonement. It will call that atonement propitiation. The biblical word behind this understanding is that Jesus has turned away the wrath of God through his offering. Turned away the wrath of God. That's what Jesus came to do in his death, to turn away the judgment of God against us to himself. Isn't that powerful? That there's wrath that, that, that you righteously deserve. There, there's punishment and payment for sin to spend eternity in hell separated from God, not where, where he's unseen, but where God is unavailable. And that's the payment, that's what you deserve for your sin. And that Jesus says, I'm going to step in and I'm going to turn the wrath of God away from you, and I'm going to take it in full. I will receive all the punishment for your sin. I will receive all the punishment for your guilt. I will receive all the punishment for all your secrets. I will die in your place so that you can be set free, no longer a slave, no longer subject to death, no longer subject to the enemy. I will set you free and call you a child of God. What an amazing gift that grace is in Jesus' name. He came to save us from the wrath of God. God sent Jesus to save us from himself. He sent Jesus to save us from himself and is now only in Christ that death has been fully and forever defeated and the victory has been given to us in Jesus' name. So again, don't drift. Don't drift. You cannot afford to drift from Jesus, nowhere else for you to go. You know, something that, that burdens my heart is a lot of us think we're okay, right? A lot of us think, I'm good. I joined a church. I'm good. 
I got baptized one time. I got baptized five times, in fact. I'm good. You know what? My attendance for church, I'm there even on icy days, right? I'm good, right? I'm good. There's nothing that needs to be done. I've done it all. I've done the members class. I joined the church. Uh, I was even born as a pastor's kid. That's extra. I'm great. I'm doing so good. And we think because we're cultural Christians that we're okay. But the Word of God is going to warn us. Have you truly submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? He didn't come just to be a priest and a prophet. He also came to be king. Are you living in surrender? Are you living in submission? Do you fully grasp the understanding that you need to repent and that that it took the full wrath of God to to be satisfied and the full sacrifice of Jesus just to save little old you? Right? Wasn't someone worse down the street? It was you that Jesus came to die for? This is the opportunity that we have to not drift. Because here's the, here's the take-home that I, I want us to, to walk away with today. We're all moving in one of two directions. You're either drawing near to Christ or you're drifting away from Christ. That's it. It's simple. There's no neutrality in Jesus. You're either drawing near to Christ or you're drifting away from Christ. There's no way for you to be neutral because in the ocean, those who row in the wrong directions are not the only ones who fail to reach the desired destination. It's also those who don't row at all. Right? You can easily drift out in the middle of nowhere by doing nothing. And so there's only two options in the Christian life. We can either sail forward in faith or we can drift away in faithlessness. There's a story about a little old boy who, who was playing with a toy boat out in the middle of a pond. And, and as the toy boat began to sail out, the wind caught it and began to take it further and further away until all of a sudden the little boy was worried because he was going to lose his boat. A man walked by and a man began to help the little boy out. He says, I'm going to help you get your boat back. And so a man picked up a stone and threw it at the boat. The boy panicked. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? You're going to destroy my boat. You're going to sink my boat. And the man says, no, young man, listen, I'm going to save your boat. Because what the man did, picked up rock after rock and threw it on the other side of the boat. And as he threw it on the other side, it began to cause ripples. And it began to cause the boat, all of a sudden, to drift back on to shore. And all of a sudden, the boy, because of what the man did to intervene, not to sink, but to save, as the man threw those stones, it brought the boat back home. And God has thrown stones at you today as you've wandered, as you've wafered, right? As you've wanted other things more than you've wanted Jesus, he has thrown stones of the gospel to cause you and to call you, to discipline you, as we're going to see later on in Hebrews in his love, back to shore. And so those stones are being thrown right now. If you're an unbeliever, here's the stone of the gospel. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And if you don't repent of your sin and believe that Jesus, your Savior and your King, you are held accountable under the judgment of God and you will spend eternity in hell unless you believe in Christ. That's the gospel. That's the stone that's being thrown at you right now to cause you to be rippled back home into the harbor of Jesus. And if you're a believer, he's throwing stones. Hey, don't drift. I know it's easy to get caught up in this world. I know it's easy to make Sunday an optional day. I know it's easy not to follow me Monday through Saturday, but, but I'm going to throw these stones at you to convict you back home. He's throwing stones at your direction. He throws stones to not let you drift because there's danger. There's destruction. 
And he throws stones to disable our drift and to bring us back home. Do you understand his discipline is to help you dodge all of your destruction? Would you just come back home? Would you see the stones rippling you back and say, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back right now to the Father as a child, as a king, as a co-heir with Jesus? I want to be saved. Let's pray this morning, if you will, with me. I'm so thankful for the grace of God that enables us to taste and see the salvation of Christ. And I realized this morning that, that the stones being thrown at you might feel like, man, God, what are you doing here? I feel like you're sinking me. God, I, I don't understand. You're causing a lot of waves and a lot of movement in my life. And God, it, it feels like, like my boat is really moving. And all the while, God is just trying to bring you back home. If you are here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you repent? Would you call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? The gospel, it is not complicated. It's costly, but it's not complicated. Jesus says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you are hearing the invitation, you you know the stones are being coming at your, your way. Would you just repent and say, Jesus, I I don't know you, but I want to right now. I believe that you are the Savior who died for my sin. I accept your gift of mercy for my guilt. And Jesus, today I leave behind all my shame. I leave behind my sin. And I'm walking away from emptiness and lostness so that I can be found in you, Jesus. I come, I believe, I receive. Would you pray something simple like that? I I can't pray for you. Would you pray that in your heart today? Just repenting and believing and receiving Jesus as your Savior. And then to the church. Again, this letter's written to to us. And it's easy to drift. That's why we've got to hold on tight. We've got to anchor ourselves deep into the Word of God. Today, would you recenter your life on Jesus? Maybe it's a step of repentance for you right now, saying, God, I'm, forgive me for, for wandering away. God, forgive me for getting caught up in my job or getting caught up in my finances. I've been pursuing this dream, and God, I forgot all about you. God, would you forgive me for all the ways that I've made you second in my life? God, I'm coming back home. Would there be a repentance and restoration in your life today? as you come rightly to the Father. So Father, I pray right now that Lord Jesus, in your name, that the drifters will come home. And for anyone drifting in sin and lostness, God, would they receive the free gift of Jesus Christ, that's grace for, for our guilt, and be brought back home as sinners saved by grace today. Death defeated, Satan diminished, gone forever, defeating our lives as we walk in victory in Jesus' name. And then God, I pray for the church that God, when we wander and we fall back into temptation and, and, and Jesus, we give in. God, would you cause us to repent in your loving discipline. God, would your discipline disable our drift today? God, would we feel that conviction and recommit our lives back to you? God, would you do a work of renewal, 
a work of recommitment and a work of repentance in our hearts for the glory of the name of Jesus. God, we come, we submit, and we surrender in Christ's name that we pray, asking you to do a work in here like never before. God's church says today, amen. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.